Colossians chapter 1, and as I mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Sunday before Christmas we did this. But we were in Colossians chapter 1, same same passage, and we talked about it a little bit around Christmas time. This of course is Palm Sunday, and when Christ came came into town riding on the donkey, they were crying, Hosanna in the highest, and um, of course, waving the palm branches, laying them down, and so we refer to it as Palm Sunday. We know that ultimately they were seeking something that was not actually what Christ was bringing. They were uh, desiring an, an earthly kingdom and an earthly reign right then and there, but they were praising Him as He entered into town, and then of course, just a few short days later, He was crucified. And so again, we're not looking at the typical Palm Sunday passage we're not looking at the triumphal entry we're looking at colossians chapter one because ultimately we know that christ is who he claimed to be and we know that being as such being that perfect son of god being that second person of the trinity being god himself that christ has and will forever have preeminence over all things and so i want us to consider that this morning let us just consider christ our Savior in Christ the Lord. And I pray that our hearts are encouraged through this. I pray that we are brought to a deeper knowledge and understanding of our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And that as we consider His preeminence and His authority over all things, that our faith would be strengthened. That Christ who has saved us, now interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, He does indeed have all authority over all creation. And He has purchased for us redemption and salvation and, and all of the benefits and all of the things that accompany salvation. And when it is all said and done, this is why we had our Scripture reading from Revelation 5, when it is all said and done, we will reign with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so the approach this morning is fairly simplistic. We're just going to consider Christ the Lord. There will be some cross-references mentioned. So if you have your Bible with you, just be prepared. I I hope that you will eagerly uh, turn to the different cross-references or at the very least jot them down uh, as we walk through this passage together. Colossians chapter 1. Main section that we're going to look at is verses 15 through um, 23. But I'm going to start in in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we, that is believers, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. 
And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's have a word of prayer before we... Dive in and start kind of unpacking all of these things. So let's pray. Father, we thank you once more for the opportunity to gather here this morning. And now specifically, God, we pray for your hand of blessing to be upon us as we go through this text together. God, again, I pray that you would minister minister to us, our hearts and our minds through your spirit. God, that the spirit would sanctify us through the preaching and teaching of your word, that we would be led into all truth, that we would be that we would be humbled as we consider Christ our Lord and that He would be exalted and lifted up. I pray that our faith would be strengthened. Um, And God, I just pray that we would rejoice as we consider all the ways that Christ is preeminent and reigns over all things. So as we consider Christ our Lord, we pray that You would be glorified through it all. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. The first comment I want to make, I'll be brief because I do, this is just a comment. Do not take this and get tripped up and say, well, firstborn, does this mean that Jesus was created or does this mean that Jesus came later or anything? In this context, firstborn simply means that He is to inherit all things. That He has preeminence. That all things Belong to Him. He will be the recipient of the inheritance, which is all things. Uh, Any confusion that may be brought up as we read that term firstborn should be laid to rest just simply by continuing to read. For by Him all things were created. Well, if all things were created by Him, then He Himself is uncreated. He is eternal. He is eternally existing with the Father. So just a brief note there. Do not be tripped up, do not be thrown off by the term firstborn. That simply means that He is over all things. He is over the household of God, as it were, but He is the firstborn of all creation. And so He is due to inherit all things, as it were. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So just those couple of verses there, we'll, uh, we'll start to, to think about those, to ponder those, and turn to Romans 11 as we do that, if you will. But He is the firstborn of all creation. He is due to inherit all things. As, we, as we've gone through our study in the book of Genesis, we, we've mentioned a few different times, and I do believe that this is of utmost importance, and I don't have time to unpack this this morning, but so many, so many big theological questions can actually be answered, I believe, by simply considering that it has always been the will of the Father to unite all things in the Son. It has always been the will of the Father for the Son to have preeminence over all things. That has always been the will of the Father. And as we 
consider Genesis, we're not there this morning, but as we consider that study, as we've been going through it, and we think about the fact that, well, all things were created by Him. Whether they be, whether they be visible, invisible, things in heaven, things on earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Just, just a couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a family member, and they actually brought up the point, well, well He created the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of. And he's the one that put it in the garden. I've often asked the question. This is the family members. I've often asked the question. Like why? Why was that a part of his plan? If God being God knew that Adam and Eve would take of the fruit, the fruit and eat it. Which he did. Because he's God. Then, then why? Why put the tree there? Why put that temptation there? Why, why create Lucifer? Lucifer himself is a created being. Why create Lucifer? Why allow the serpent to be in the garden to tempt the woman? And again, I don't have time to unpack all that. I hope I'm not annoying you by briefly bringing that up and you're thinking, unpack that. But know this. Many questions along that line of thought can be answered in this. It was always the will of the Father that the Son have the preeminence. It was always the will of the Father that the Son get the glory. That He would have glory in redemption. That He would have glory... In, in all of creation being renewed and restored. And when we start to consider that, hopefully in the, the Spirit's guidance and, and illuminating the Scriptures for us and illuminating those truths of Scriptures, some of those puzzle pieces might start to fall into place and we think, oh, well, that, that makes sense. All of this, the fall, the curse, all of it leads up to Christ having the preeminence in all things. Perhaps you've heard... Uh, the the sermon that has been preached by many different preachers and, and it carries along with it the thought that Jesus Himself actually is responsible for making the tree that produced the cross that He was crucified upon. We know ultimately that even the Roman soldiers that mocked Him and ridiculed Him and tortured Him and nailed Him to the tree, where did they find their source? Where did they come from? Created by God. Rejected. By His own creation. And we consider these things. And these are deeper thoughts. These are thoughts that many Christians, I would venture to say, they, might, they may not even venture down this line of thought. They may not ever consider these things. But all things were created through Him and for Him. For Him. That He would have the preeminence in all things. And so... I ask you to turn to Romans chapter 11. And this is simply the same thought, just shared in a different way, still from Paul. But Romans 11 verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might... Be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. I mentioned this in Sunday school and I told the Sunday school class this would come back up in the sermon today. But the great uh, catechism of the faith, the Westminster Catechism, the very first question is what is the chief end of man or more simply put, what is what is the purpose of man? What is our what is our end goal? 
And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You say, well, well, how is it that the entire purpose of life is simply to glorify God? And here, we would say to exalt Christ. To glorify, glorify the Father through rejoicing in the Son and exalting the Son and praising Him. How is that the end goal of life? Well, because all things were created through Him and for Him. You created for Him. I am created for Him. Therefore, the purpose of life, the chief end of man is to glorify Him. And enjoy Him forever. And we rejoice in this. See, so often within Christendom and within the modern American church, we never really get past the whole, do you want to get saved? Repent and believe. And that's, that's the gospel, repent and believe. Do you want to be saved? Do you want freedom from sin? Do you, do, you, do you want salvation? Repent and believe. And then we never really get past that to actually considering Christ. You say, well, Caleb, how can you say that? If the gospel is being shared, then we are considering Christ. Yes, we are considering that aspect that His death, burial, and resurrection has purchased the redemption of all who believe and all who will ever believe. But we must move beyond these elementary principles and go to the fact that all things, whether in heaven or on earth, whether principalities or rulers, all things exist for His glory. And if that be the case, which it is, then from the moment that we claim to have been born again, from the moment that we claim to have become a follower of Jesus Christ, our entire existence ought to be for His glory. Not just what we do on Sunday mornings. Every aspect of our lives ought to be for His glory. The way we raise our children. The way we treat our spouse. The way we work. The way we speak. The way we think. All of it. For His glory. All things were created through Him and for Him. When we speak to non-believers, when we speak to those who do not know the truth, who have not submitted to God's authority over all things, we can tell them with utmost confidence, you are one of the all things that were created through Him and for Him. The reason that so many people still wonder, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? The one thing that many people will not even venture to consider is that, oh, God is God. The Scriptures are true. And we must submit to God's authority over all creation. Won't even consider it. And therefore, mankind by and large continues to search for the meaning of life. The purpose of life. Why are we here? Why do we exist? And we as Christians ought to be standing there with with megaphones, as it were, saying, you exist for Him. Repent and believe the Gospel. All things created through Him and for Him. We are included in that. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, if you will. 
Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So you again, you see the connection to Colossians there that we're, we're looking at. Verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He upholds the universe by the very word of his power. Why does the world as we know it continue to tick? Why does the world as we know it continue to operate within the, within the order that God has given it? Why have all things not fallen into chaos? Why have all things not ceased to exist? Because He is upholding all things by the word of His power. So He is before all things and in Him, in him all things hold together. Yet another reason that we ought to give Him the glory, give Him the praise and the honor that He alone is worthy of. We exist right now in this place. We made it here today. We're sitting here today. I'm standing here today. We know that, that when we leave, we, we should be able to get into our vehicles and go have lunch. And we may eat too much or we may eat too little. We might nap after that. But, but the day is going... We have confidence that by the end of this day, the sun will set. We'll pillow our heads tonight. And we'll wake up and, all, and, and we'll do it all over again tomorrow. Why do we have confidence that the world is just going to continue working like that? For the Christian, we say, because Christ is upholding all things by the very word of His power. At any second, things could fall into chaos. Things could just melt away. And we say, no, we have confidence as believers that Christ is not going to return. This, this earth is not going to be judged or melt away with fervent heat until the appointed time. Until then, until then, all things are upheld by the very word of His power. And all things work together according to the will of the Father. And we rejoice in that. We take great comfort in that. And Christ is to receive the glory and the honor for that. It is His power. It is His authority. That is upholding all things. Not only is He before all things. The firstborn of all creation. But He is also. The head of the body. The church. So He has preeminence over all creation. Has preeminence over all things. Specifically He also is the head. And has preeminence over. The church. His bride. The people of God. Turn to Romans 5 if you will please. This is yet another passage where I will say, I don't have time to unpack this this morning. I'm not trying to pre preach five or six sermons in one, but I do absolutely want to give you food for thought. And again, I say, I hope at the very least you are writing down these cross references so that you can study them further later on. But in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, 
and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now go back to a previous comment that I made. God's the one who made the tree and put the tree in the garden. And and why this? And why was the fall a part of God's plan? A lot of those questions can be answered if we simply consider it has always been the will of the Father that Christ have the preeminence in all things. Now we consider the fact that Paul refers to Adam as a type of Christ. A type of the one to come. Adam is the head of all mankind, if you will. As Adam goes, so goes all of mankind. Adam fell, and all of mankind fell with him. There's a level of of mystery or intrigue there. But when Adam sinned in the garden, we sinned in the garden. We were in Adam, and so as he did, so did we. But we're told that Christ is the head of the church. As Christ goes... So goes the church. We know that Christ was perfectly righteous, perfectly obeyed the law. We know that His righteousness is credited to our account. We are not perfect. We are not righteous. We fall short of the glory of God. But the righteousness of our head, of our representative, is credited to our account. So just as Sin and death entered through one man. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. All who are in Christ receive justification and life. All who are in Adam receive sin and death. So you see this concept of headship. You see this concept of a representative given. We see that Christ is the head of the church. And because Christ is our representative, because Christ is that head of the church, His righteousness, His perfect obedience, His, uh, all, of His, uh, all of His righteousness credited to our account. So that we can be presented holy and blameless before the Father in glory. And so we rejoice that Christ is the head of the church. You could turn to Ephesians 5 and you could look at Ephesians 5 and see there that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave His life for her. That He has purified her and washed her with pure water. That He has sanctified her and set her apart. And so we rejoice that Christ is the head of the church. And He will have the preeminence. It is not our church. It is Christ's church. He is the one who has purchased and redeemed us. He is the one who is that perfect husband, as it were. 
that has given His life for us and sanctified us for His own glory. And He ought to receive the praise and the glory and the honor as the head of the church. Just by way of note there, because it is His church. Christ told Peter on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that that promise only stands for the, the true church. The true church. Those who understand and rejoice in, in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the, the true, biblical, authentic Jesus. Not these falsified gospels. These twisted watered down, man-made, perverted gospels that the world offers and they just slap Jesus' name on it. The true church that Christ shed His perfect blood to purchase and redeem, that church will reign eternally. Sin and death have already been defeated. And we rejoice in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Similar to the account we just read from Romans 5. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And this is kind of setting the stage. We're going to read in a moment from Colossians that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. But let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians 15 here. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also... uh, Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Easter is next Sunday. And of course we, we rejoice and we celebrate that we serve a risen Savior. Verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Remember that phrase, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Firstborn from the dead. There will be a connection there. For as by a man or one man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. He is the head of the church. In Adam all die. In Christ those who are in Christ. All shall be made alive. But each is each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. And so we consider these things. He is the head of the church. We rejoice that He has purchased us. That He has redeemed us. And we rejoice that just as He was resurrected. Just as He is risen. We have hope not only of our spiritual resurrection. Which has already happened. We've been born again. We were raised from death to life. But we have hope of a physical resurrection. And we rejoice in this as we consider these things. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. 
that in every that in everything he may be preeminent. So he's the firstborn of all creation. He has preeminence over all things that have ever been made. He has preeminence over the church. And he is also the firstborn of the dead. Just as Christ is risen from the dead, dead, death could not hold him. We look forward to that final resurrection, the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. But but when Christ was raised, that was like the guarantee or the stamp or the promise that there will indeed be a new heavens and a new earth. That all that God has promised through the Son is indeed true because death could not hold Him. There will be eternal life. Christ is that life. And all those who are in Him will reign eternally. And so we have our hope set upon the new heavens and the new earth. Which, by the way, just brief remark here. If you have it in your head that when we pass away and that we go to heaven that we're like floating on clouds and playing harps and we get wings and stuff like that with all the kindness I can muster up. <clears throat> wrong. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. We will not be floating around on the proverbial cloud nine in heaven. New heavens and new earth. And we will reign with Him eternally. Eternity will be far greater than us floating around, having a harp, get wings. Which, by the way, got to throw this out. I'm really trying hard not to chase this rabbit, but we don't become angels when we pass away. Angels are a separate created being. We don't become angels. In fact, even greater than that, we will have a physically resurrected body. It will be a a um, a perfected body. Just as Christ, risen, had a physical body. He made an appearance to the twelve and then to over 500 eyewitnesses. Just as He was risen and had a physical body, so will we. And we're going to close the sermon by looking at Romans 8 in a few moments and we'll, we'll consider that in more detail. But just, but just know that. We, we have that great hope. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is risen. We will be risen with Him. Now, spiritually, we are risen. We have been raised up. We were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. And the life that we now live is not our own, but it is Christ who liveth within us. I just quoted KJV. I went way back in time there. Liveth came out just like, wow. It is Christ who lives within us. You say, well, there again, Caleb, there's a level, there's a level of mystery or there's a level of, of intrigue there. Like, how, how were we crucified with Christ? Just as in the garden, as Adam went, so all of mankind went. Christ, the head of the church, firstborn from the dead. As Christ goes, so goes all those who are in Him. We have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. So He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Go all the way back to the garden once more. God told the serpent, there will be enmity 
between your seed and her seed. And we know as well that because of sin, there is enmity between us and God. God is a holy God. Fallen, sinful beings cannot stand holy and blameless before a holy God because we are sinful, fallen beings. But He also told the serpent, you will bruise His heel and He will bruise or crush your head. And here in Colossians, we just read the words, making peace by the blood of His cross. I pray that each and every one of us understands the vast significance and the eternal importance of such a statement. Making peace by the blood of the cross. All those who are in Christ Jesus can say, we are at peace with the holy God of all creation. You say, how in the world can wretched sinners ever be made right and be made at peace with a holy God? Only through the blood of the perfect Son of God. Only that can make peace between God and man. And we know that He is indeed the only mediator between God and man. And He has made peace through the blood of His cross. But in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Paul repeats that sentiment in Ephesians chapter 1, that again, it has always been the will of God the Father to unite all things in Christ Jesus and to, to bring all those things together in Him. But in John chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump to verse 14 of John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side He has made Him known. In other words, in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We've covered how the blood of Christ makes peace between us and God, those who are in Christ, the redemption of sin, the atoning sacrifice for sin. Consider something else. And this, to me, this is another thing that so seldom gets considered. When Christ returns, yes, there will be a great day of judgment. But then there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And all of creation, all of creation will be made new. All of creation will be free From the curse of sin. 
I've said something along these lines before, and I'll, I'll mention it again, but for those of you who love the outdoors, you've never seen a perfect sunrise. You've never seen a perfect sunset. For the farmers here, you've never seen a perfect plant. You've never seen a perfect crop. For those of you who love seeing little ones play and romp around, I can assure you you've never seen a perfect child. None of us have ever been a part of a perfect relationship. Not even with those that we love most dearly. Our relationships with our spouses, our relationships with our children are not perfect. We've never known a perfect relationship in the flesh. We've never seen a perfect tree, a perfect flower. Pet lovers, you've never seen a perfect dog, perfect cat, perfect whatever pet you have. Just consider that for a moment. All of creation, every last bit of it, has been tainted, has been tinged by the curse of sin. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be, certain, there will be no such knowledge. And there will be no such effect. It will be a perfect, unstained new heavens and new earth. And we ought to rejoice in that hope. None of us have never known an existence that was free from sin. Imagine, imagine never feeling the, the pain or the emotional spiritual turmoil of fighting temptation. Of knowing that you ought not do something or you ought not crave something, but you have to fight against it because something within you actually wants it. And that brings us great turmoil and great frustration. We've never known what it's like to be free from temptation. Christ is reconciling all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven. So go ahead and we'll, we'll go to Romans 8. And we'll begin wrapping up. First off, I want to remind us of our own position before God through Jesus Christ once more. Now, if you're a believer here today, what I'm about to read, this is true for you. It's already true. If you're here today and you say, well, I'm not... I wouldn't really say I'm confident that I'm a Christian. I don't even really know what I am. Or you may even say I'm pretty confident. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe. But as you've heard these things this morning, you're, you're thinking to yourself and you're, you're, you're considering all the things that have been said and you, you say, this sounds like the truth to me. Everything that this guy's saying about Christ and how He's preeminent over all things and how all things were created through Him, something within me is saying this is the truth. That I would encourage you today, repent of your unbelief and believe. This is the truth. Submit to Christ. Repent and believe. All who believe will be saved. And so, if what we're about to read is not true for you right now in this present moment, know that through repentance and faith, it will be true. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those that are outside of Christ Jesus, there is only condemnation before a holy God. But in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We are free from the wrath of God. But I want us to jump now to verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us or to us. For the creation waits, the creation waits with eager longing, the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Go back to Genesis once more. What did God tell Adam? Cursed is the ground because of you. All of creation was subjected to futility. Not because creation sinned or because creation did something wrong. But because man sinned, God subjected all creation to futility, to corruption. And so creation itself is longing for the return of Christ. It's as if creation itself knows when He returns, we're going to be set free. When He returns, everything will be renewed, restored, redeemed. Creation itself is saying, I can't wait to be set free from, from futility, from the corruption of sin. Creation is longing for that. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning Together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, believers, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. In a way, I, I almost want to give a challenge and say that I would hope and pray that we would not be outdone by creation in eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. I would hope that His people would be much more eager, would be all the more zealous in eagerly awaiting His return, knowing that we will be set free from all of the struggles and the pain and the turmoil that is here, that is present in this world because of sin and its corruption. See, so often we get so caught up and I, I wish bad things didn't happen anymore. I wish I didn't have to feel heartache or I, I wish I didn't feel stress. I wish I could, I wish I could live a stress-free life. And that, all of that falls short of what the actual problem is. Stress, anxiety, pain, depression, 
fill in the blank with whatever you may struggle with. The reason that any of those things are even a part of the existence on this earth is because of sin. And it's corruption. What we are longing for more than anything is freedom from sin and all of the effects of sin. And the the only thing that affords us freedom from sin and the effects of sin is Christ alone. And through His shed blood upon the cross, He has made peace. Reconciling all things to Himself. And He will inherit all things. He will receive all things. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And His people that are in Him. He is the head of the body, the church. And all those who are in Him will reign with Him eternally. Free from sin. And free from the effects of sin. But I would hope and I would pray that His people, God's people, would not be outdone by creation itself in eagerly awaiting the return of our Lord and Savior. Do we have that longing? Do we seek to see Him preeminent in all things? Preeminent in all things in our lives? Is, does He have the preeminence in every aspect of our lives? Are we submitted to Him and His authority in all things? Are we seeking to glorify Him in all aspects of life? Are we eager for His return? Do we have a hunger and a thirst to be free from sin and the effects of sin? I'm not just talking about spiritually. I'm talking about the ongoing struggle. The flesh and the spirit being at war. Do we have a sincere desire to be free from that? And are we eagerly anticipating His return? Christ is preeminent over all creation. He's preeminent over the church. He's preeminent. Will be preeminent. Of course, over the new heavens and the new earth. And we as believers know that the benefits of His reign and His authority namely eternal life are available now. Christians can actually have peace and contentment And embrace and walk in the freedom of sin here and now. No, it will not come to its fullest fruition until Christ returns. But we can enjoy those things here and now. In Sunday school we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ Himself even told His disciples. And I'm paraphrasing, but my desire is that your joy will be full. There should be few things more heartbreaking to us than someone who claims to know Christ, has professed faith in Him, yet they are not joyful. Yet they are not content in Christ. They're still pursuing the things of the world. They're still fraught with fear and anxiety. They're still worried. They still live in fear. These things ought to break our hearts. 
Because we know that through Christ, the victory has already been won. Sin and death have already been defeated. We're free. We're free. And we can walk in the light as He is in the light. And we can know joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding through Christ. And so, I pray that for each and every believer that is here today, that we would take time to sincerely, earnestly, and in humility, consider Christ our Savior. For those who are not believers here today, I I pray the same. That you would consider Christ the Lord. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If no one has ever told you, I will tell you now, He is Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given Him. He is Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. All who come to Him and believe will be saved, but all who do not believe are condemned already. Repent and believe the gospel. May Christ be exalted today and every day. May we turn aside from any sin that we've been living in or we've been practicing in our daily lives. May God be gracious. Grant us repentance in those areas that we would turn away from them. May He continue to sanctify us through His Word. And may He receive the glory in all things. Let's close in a word of prayer.